You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Yes. (laughs) How's that? Is that good? I, I don't know. Sure. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason and Chris. Yeah, I think that was good. I think that was good. Yeah, we're missing Baker. Um, he's uh, he's using one of his sick days on the podcast. You we, only get we get those. We only get so many. No, you only get so many. How many? I need to know. How many has he he's burned through? At least a couple, I'm sure. He's got a couple. And he got the well, the leg thing was last year. Yeah. Oh. And I can't well, count then, that because yeah. then he like had knee surgery and then well, I think still he's breached. used two this year so far. Okay. All right. What do you think the amount should be? Five or less? I like five. Okay. So Baker, you got three more sick days. Um, have I used any? How about they're just PTO? Because I'm telling you, we're not recording next week. So I don't count. You don't count PTO. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have not this year, but you haven't. You, you canceled on me in the past. Oh man, not like me under the bus. Have I canceled on you? Not a whole lot. Sorry, I can. I, I mean, maybe really one loud. that I can think of. If I don't know. Sorry, guys. I'm eating Skittles. All right. <clears throat> well, you ready? Yeah. I couldn't I mean, I think of. We were recording. Yeah, we are. I couldn't think of. Sorry, I couldn't think of any. Obviously, question. Obviously, and I did remember. It's no fun because Baker's not here, but uh, he made us those T-shirts with uh, the Muppets on them. You got two curmudgeons. I was so ready just to what go off on this question. But oh. I, I did answer it. I did. Okay. Answer well, it. thank you. You're Jeez. welcome. I don't know. I was what, ready. My eye rolls were ready, get, and everything. You get turned up anytime there's a question that's like not about the Bible. No, which, I don't. No, which is I fair. wouldn't say which that. Which is fair. Which is fair. I wouldn't but say anyways, that. Okay, so, so that's the context of this question. We've got these um, Muppet T-shirts. Yep. So I want to know what's your favorite Muppet movie. I don't even know if you've ever even seen this movie. What does that mean? It's called The Muppets Take Manhattan. Yes, that was going to be one of my picks. Okay. But yeah. That's my only pick. Your only pick. That's the only one. That's a good one. I, uh, the obvious one I have stated on a different question, but The Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, The Muppets Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Is a, You don't like that one? Not really. The Manhattan one's good. And let me throw in, it's The Muppets Most Wanted. The newer ever. newer one with Ricky Gervais. I don't think I've seen it. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah. Did you like the Muppets growing up? I did when I was growing up, yes. Muppet Babies. Yeah, I love the Muppet Babies. Yeah. I had to... No, I'm talking about the original Muppet. They've like redone it. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah, the one back in the day. Okay. I did have, I guess now that I say that, I used to have a stuffed Kermit dressed like a pirate from, yeah. Of course you did. Yeah, of course. Now that I say that out loud, I feel like. And you were talking about, was that something about hanging out with friends earlier? Yeah, I feel like I shouldn't have said that out loud, but it is true. I did have, since we are telling secrets, and it's only me that's telling them. Yeah. um, I did have a, remember My Little Pony? Yeah. So as a kid, the show would come on, and I would watch it 
when no one else knew I was watching it. And I remember we went to Kmart and I bought a My Little Pony. My mom let me buy My Little Pony. <laughs> and then I, it, it was, yeah. And so then, this is a true story. I hid it under my bed. So, because I didn't want any of my friends to know I had a My Little Pony. And I would, I'd ha- it'd have a little brush. So I'd brush, oh my brush his tail. No, I'm, this is, this is a, this is a, a real 100% story? for real. <laughs> All right, well. Yep. Let it be known, I don't do that anymore. There's no... My Little Pony's under the bed. But, yeah, no, that is a true story, sadly. Wow. So, yeah. So, if anyone's ever, like, looks at Judah and they're like, what's wrong with them? Just know who his dad is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's get started. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, I guess it's for me. Yeah, intro question for you, right off the bat. Uh, did Jesus ever claim to be God? All right. Well, I, I started off Sunday going through who God is. Uh, we we talked briefly in Exodus 3 um, that he's the God um, of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am who I am. So the whole point of all of that at the beginning was because we understand who God is, we can start to answer the question, who am I? Um, so we, we went to the Old Testament, but then the important question is, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Which will come up again in two weeks um, when we're finishing up John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. But this is John 8, starting in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It, uh, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know Him, and I keep His word. Your, and I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham I was, or was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Um, It's so shockingly obvious that Jesus um, didn't claim to just be greater than Abraham, which was which I th- would have been offensive enough in that moment. Yeah. He claimed to be the great I am, that Christ Jesus before Abraham was I am. Um, so, yeah. I have a quote here that I don't want to read because I ended up putting it in the message, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Oh. So I'm going to hold on to it about gotcha. Jesus being the Christ. Um, so... That kicks us off. Yep. So we read First John two two through fourteen, um, the message on Sunday, answering this question: Who am I? Um, so there's categories. There's a little child. Mm-hmm. There's father, and uh, there's young men. Um, so point one: Who am I? Well, I'm like a little child. Chris, yep. Why did Jesus use an illustration of a child? Even in Matthew 18, 1 through 6. Um, Jesus used the illustration of a child to convey the importance of humility. 
the humility of a child consists of childlike trust, uh, a weakness, and the inability to advance their own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. That's good. Yeah. Um, maybe I should say this up front. When you look at these verses, 12 through 14, mm-hmm. it's um, very poetic in that structure. And you said that two, in yeah, there's two primary disagreements in those verses. The disagreements are, how is John using those categories? Mm-hmm. Child, father, young man. Is he using those literally, figuratively, generically? And the way I taught it on Sunday was, I think he's being ambiguous on purpose. Although I think the primary way to teach this is for everyone. This is, applies to everyone. So I did use that liberty to say, all right, well, as we go th- through these, let's talk about what they mean to the little literal category, but then most importantly, in the generic sense. Um, and then the also disagreement is how John intended to use uh, the word because in that. Is it an explanation or is it declarative in each of those categories? And I, I, I think I use it more in a declarative sense. Hmm. So I say all that to say, like, there's just a lot of confusion in those verses. Um, but so, yeah. Um, we're at least discussing somewhat of this literal um, category for a little bit. So, good. Um, question for you. In what ways do churches hinder children from coming to Jesus? It's not enough good snacks. Um, let me tell you, for just a confession, the past few months, Matthew has not had good snacks in the youth room. And it's really hindered the teenagers from coming to church. And then today we went up, we're up here, and it's loaded, loaded down. Skittles, um, there's drinks in the, in the fridge, oatmeal cream pies. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to, I want to publicly say thank you to Matthew for not hindering the teenagers. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for not hindering the teenagers. Yeah. No, let me, let me be a little more serious. Um, I just have a, a quick list to go through. I'm sure there's more. Um, I think churches hinder children from coming to Jesus, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Not Jesus. Jesus. I need to send you a video later. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, one, by not thinking of families as they plan church services and events and activities. That's probably the biggest reason that they hinder. I'll give you uh, an example that everyone would know. Uh, when COVID hit, Churches were trying to scramble through, what can we do uh, to move forward as a church on Sunday mornings? Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches were like, well, let's, let's build some radio system and people can just go park in our parking lot, listen to the sermon on, through their radio, and if they they can flash their lights or honk their horns with an amen, blah, 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 all that weird stuff. Now, I'm not saying churches shouldn't do that, nor that it wasn't super effective for some churches. What I am saying is, like, for a church with plenty of families, they did not think through, no family wants to do that. I do not want to sit out with my little three little kids in the van 
on a Sunday and try to pay attention to a sermon while they lose their minds in the back of the vehicle. And and I think it was wrong for a lot of churches just to assume, like, well, why wouldn't people do that? Do you not value? And I'm like, no, it's not that. You're not thinking through what it's like to be a parent anymore. Um, so there's one, that's a simple example, one, not praying, or two, not praying for parent, parents and families, not mm-hmm. equipping parents to disciple their children, um, not showing an immense amount of patience and love for, for children and teenagers. Um, and I, and I, I realize like not all of that uh, means that like we shouldn't teach our kids to be respectful in a church environment. Um, and I, I understand we all have different definitions and levels of what respect means, but uh, we don't let kids intentionally be rude or disrespectful. Um, these children were coming to meet Jesus. The children, uh, and children do that in a very messy way. Uh, but they weren't acting like lunatics and keeping people from me- meeting Jesus. They wanted to be near Jesus. Yeah. It's funny, when I brought this up on Sunday, I don't, were you in the second service? So, like, as yes. I'm talking about children, teenagers oh, was being a, yes, yes, yes. Like I wasn't saying noisy, messy, there's, like, someone, kids, teenagers talking yeah. in the back somewhere. And I'm like, I hear them now. And it must have been up it was. in the they, booth. Yeah, I, yeah. Because we were in uh, the back, me and the kids. Which, and then I saw, like, at least two parents, like, step, step. out. <laughs> they were going to shut that down. <laughs> Which again, it's like that. Is that not a perfect example of exactly what? It's like an illustration in real time. Nope. It's going to be messy. These are things you, we, we. I welcome that. While at the same time, we're also teaching them like, hey, don't talk during the message. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 both. But we're not going to hinder kids to be like, look, if you can't stop talking, don't ever come back to this church. <laughs> so teenagers and kids are messy. My kids are here right now as we record this podcast. I locked the podcast room door. I have no idea what they're doing out there, but I'll find out when we're done. And I'm sure it's messy. So hopefully they didn't eat all of Matthew's yeah, yeah, all snacks. snacks are just <laughs> hyping him up. Now they're all gone. Like, woo! All right. Well, this is for everyone. We are like children, little children. Uh, and then to clarify that, who is forgiven for his name's sake. How do we know if God has forgiven us? It's a good question. And I have an answer. Oh, well, good. I um, need some Skittles while you're in. Right. We'll start with um, confession and repentance. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, I think... Um, to know that we're forgiven, repentance and confession are crucial. If we confess our sins to God and we genuinely repent, turning away from them, then we can trust in God's faithfulness and just to forgive us, that he's just to forgive us. Um, John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we see belief in Christ. Belief in Christ, repentance. Uh have faith. We have to have faith in God's promises. Romans 10, Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, understanding God's character, we look at Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Um, and then finally, 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So, forgiveness is grounded in faith, repentance, and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, you're looking at constant prayer, reading the Bible, and seeking fellowship with other believers. It can also contribute to your growing assurance of God's forgiveness. But yeah, That's a good way to put that. I think it's not growing acceptance of like God will forgive you. It's assurance that he has forgiven you. Hmm. No, that's good. Should we should name this series "Blessed Assurance"? Well, do you say "blessed assurance" or oh, "blessed bl- assurance"? I would have said "blessed," but now that you've asked me, I'm looking at it and I'm struggling. I guess it would be "blessed assurance." Mm-hmm. Jesus is mine. We don't say "blessed assurance." Blessed assurance. I think that's where the confusion yeah. is. All right. Um, who am I? Well, two. I'm like a father. Who knows Christ that is from the beginning? Chris, yep. why is it so important for earthly dads to know Christ? All right. Let me see if I can get I've got a lot here. And I make sure it's all understandable. All right. Uh, the importance of earthly fathers knowing Christ um, lies in there in the profound impact their faith has on their roles as fathers and their overall well-being of their families. Um, Like a father who knows Christ is more likely to provide moral and spiritual guidance based on biblical principles. Uh, This guidance becomes a strong foundation for children as they navigate life's challenges. Uh, Knowing Christ enables fathers to model Christian virtues such as love, patient, kindness, forgiveness, and humility. Uh, children often learn more from what they see in their parents than what they hear. Uh, Christ-centered fathers contribute to creating a home environment where faith, prayer, and worship are valued. Um, this environment fosters spiritual growth and, and a unity within the family. Um, a father's relationship with Christ provides stability and security to the family. Knowing that their earthly father is anchored in Christ and can give children a sense of safety and assurance. Um, fathers who know Christ are in a better position to teach their children about the gospel, about salvation, Christian faith. Uh, this can help shape their worldview and understanding of God's love and grace. Um, let's see. I have a lot more here, but I'm going to. Um, I like this one. The Bible assigns specific responsibilities to fathers, such as providing for the family, nurturing and training children and leading the household. Uh, a couple examples I didn't, you can look them up, is Ephesians 6, 4 and 1 Timothy 5, 8. Uh, knowing Christ uh, helps fathers fulfill these responsibilities in a way that aligns with God's design. Um, Christ-centered fathers are more likely to practice um, prioritize healthy relationships within the family, fostering love, respect, and communication. 
um, those qualities can contribute to the overall well-being of family member of the family members. Uh, and finally, me finally, knowing Christ has eternal implications. So fathers who lead their families toward a relationship with Jesus contributes to their spiritual well-being of their children, not just in this life, but for eternity. Yeah, it's really good. Can I? I, I think I need to clarify some things in this space because one you can be a great godly dad not perfect no dad's gonna be perfect but you're gonna have times where you fail and oh yeah all that but you can be a great godly dad and your kids can still walk away from the lord um likewise you can have no dad in the picture at least even spiritually and still Give your life to the Lord and and be a faithful Christian. Timothy is the best example that I know of. Um, the text doesn't mention his dad, but I think for obvious reasons doesn't mention anything about his dad teaching him about Jesus, the faith. His dad was Greek. His mom was a Jew. Um, so... Timothy's mom and his grandmother are the ones that taught him the faith. Um, And then Paul scooped him up as his spiritual father, um, earthly spiritual father. So, yeah, of course, none of this is like 100% every time. These are just healthy biblical models that is lacking that shouldn't be. So, all right, go ahead. Sorry. That was it. No, that's all I had. I'd... <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Um, well, moving on. I guess the next question is for you. How can dads create a legacy of faith in their family? You mentioned a little bit of overlap, but hopefully it's clarifying. One, just show up to church. Yeah. You want to be like, just show up. I, I mean, what my, and I, I don't care if, I don't think he listens to this, but. Like, I don't think it's embarrassing, but my dad was not, did not teach me the Bible. My dad did not pray with me. I would, I would hope that he prayed for me, but he didn't like sit down and pray with me and talk about the gospel a lot. Um, And he wasn't discipled in that way. But he did the best that he could with what he had, with what he knew in the moment, and he showed up to church like that, like at least do that. That was helpful and vital in my own faith. We were just always at church, and he took us to church. It wasn't ever dad sleeping in, mom's mm-hmm. got to take us to church. Uh, show up to church, serve the local church. Dad served as much as he could. <clears throat> um, be an example of what it means to follow Christ which I, I think a lot of dads only do that. They're like, I'll just be a good dad. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, that's good. That's a good start. So there are a lot of bad dads out there. Uh, but teach them the Bible as is age appropriate. Uh, this is something that obviously was not done for me that I'm trying to do with our own kids. Like we read through the children's Bible with them. Um, and then... Now that they've gotten older, they have those NIV Adventure Bibles. And I don't know why it's kind of just kind of turned into this organically. Like I go in the boys' room, 
read through the Gospels, we're in Matthew's Gospel with them. I read like a little section or whatever, pray with them, good night. Go to Eliza's room, get her Bible, and we're reading in the book of Acts. Mm. And what's crazy is like, when I do that with the Gospels with the boys, Judah's like asking questions about it after. Um, and when I do that with Eliza, she, I like had reread a section and she was like, you already read, you read that last night. And I was like, I didn't know you were paying attention at all. <laughs> so it's just, just trying. So, um, yeah, I think most dads are doing the best they can with what they know and have, but that's an easy win. And then this is a big one. Show them what it means to live with the peace and joy of Christ mm. is such a huge, huge misfire from godly dads. Dads, they're like, I'm going to teach my kid how to be a Christian. Like, they're going to follow Jesus. And you're like, your life looks miserable, <laughs> you know? You're always mean. You're always angry. You don't look like you enjoy this. Like, why would I want what you have? Like, I think as a parent, it's like, just just be, I mean, you can be fun. Like, yeah. if your kids never see you, like, goofing off and, like, having fun and having the just, even just temporary joy of, like, just being a Christian. Like, everything's going to be fine. Like, why would they want what you have? So I think that's a huge missing component for moms and dads. Like, if you're a miserable Christian, don't expect your kids to want your mm -hmm. miserable life. So... Um, you know, is what it is. That's just hmm? my two cents. All right. Well, who am I? I am like a young man. Point three. Another one for you, Jason. How can you do a better job of encouraging the next generation? Let me give a little background of where I'm coming from with this. Um, I, I've really wrestled with this because I'm, I, I maybe I've mentioned this before. I'm, I'm phasing out of being the youngest adult in church, where for the longest time, churches across this country were trying to figure out how do we reach the millennials? And they did all kinds of weird stuff uh, to try to do that. And then now that I, I am an older millennial, but I'm still in that generational whatever. And um, so I'm starting to ask this question, all right, well now we've got Gen Z and younger becoming adults in the local church, having their own married, getting kids, how do you reach them? And I've even questioned, like I've asked Gen Z in our church, like, what are we doing wrong? Like, how, how can we, what strategy does this church need to, to do a better job of reaching Gen Z? So I'm going to share where all of that imploded for me. Um, gotcha. So I was listening to this podcast um, a few weeks ago, and the guy was interviewing who you would know, Louis Giglio. Mm. And the guy asked him, like, you've done, your whole ministry, whole life has been geared around the next generation and ministering, discipling young people. How, how have you been so successful? What's your strategy? I'm paraphrasing all this. And Louis, Louis's response was, well, I'm hesitant to answer that because as soon as I start to answer how we reach young people 
it comes across as church. Jesus is a brand that we're trying to sell to someone, mm. or that we're trying to market uh, to younger consumers. And that's not what we're trying to do. And so his response was really like simple. It was just, we just get to know them and ask questions about their life and see where they're at in their life and how can we love them and serve them and pray for them. And he said, and then I just preached Jesus and Jesus is relevant for all time. And I thought, all right, whether you love Louis or don't love him, like that was really solid and helpful. Um, so how can we do a better job encouraging the next generation? I think it's as simple as just get to know them. Mm. Don't, how many churches are like, we need young people to get in here and do all this work we don't want to do anymore. And I'm like, how, when did you ever get to know them, disciple them, love them, mentor them? Like, or do you just want young free labor to do what you don't want to do anymore is, is not helpful. And I, I, so I'm seeing that myself. It's like, there's not some magic formula at East River Park of how we can do a better job of reaching the younger generations. We just need to do a better job of getting to know them, um, serving them. I think trying to do this young adult small group, so I think this Sunday, and just feed, just feed them, like do something. Um, so there it is. So who am I? I'm like a young man, A, who is strong, B, who has the word of God abiding in me. Chris, why do we need to abide in Christ? I believe you read some of this uh, during your sermon. Uh, John 15, I've got four through six. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, or in itself, by itself, sorry. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then I have First um, John three twenty four: Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So if you look up the word abide that is used, uh, it's used 10 times in the first 10 verses of John 15. Mm. Um, looking at the Greek roots of the word, we discover helpful definitions to abide basically means to dwell, remain, be present and to be held and kept. So abiding in Christ is essential for spiritual life. Uh, fruitfulness, Dependence, holiness, communication, protection, unity, and the assurance of an eternal relationship. Uh, to abide in Christ, I believe it is a call to live in constant communion with Jesus, recognizing him as the source of our life and the transformative power that enables us to bear fruit that glorifies God. That's good. Pretty simple answer, huh? Well, I'll tell them, anyone that's listening, remember everything Chris just said, because it's going to come up again <laughs> a lot, definitely coming up in, in two weeks. Um, 
So, all right. Well, I'm like a young man. See who has overcome the evil one. Um. Well, how do we overcome the evil one? I won't explain it too much because we will when we get there. But First John four four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have come overcome the evil one because Christ is in us mm-hmm. and Christ abides in us. And I guess in summary, Christ has overcome the world. So main point, I am a part of the people of God. Um, that's, that's a wrap. But before mm-hmm. we uh, stop the recording, let's do one final question that... Um, the preface. I mean, we've we're not like ex- exploding attendance-wise or anything. There, but there's just new people, and you're split in between two services, and it's really hard to know people between two services. I wonder if people can hear my kids <laughs> just literally fighting to the death out there. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, their own little Hunger Games going on out there. Yeah. Surprised <laughs> Judah hasn't. He's per, Judah's got a really good fake cry. Uh, surprised I haven't heard it yet. All right. Um, so how can we be a more welcoming church on Sunday mornings? Because it's, it's, it's difficult when, two things, it's difficult when you're like, I don't know if I've met them before. Or two, I don't know if they've been here for three years and I'm just yeah. now introducing my Like, how do, how do you become a more welcoming church? I, don't, I think we do... I'm not. I think we do a good job. Yeah. I re- I really don't have. I, I looked and I thought and I, I don't I don't know that what what we could improve on. I just have a bunch of generic stuff here. Um. I said creating a more welcoming church environment on Sunday mornings will involve intentional efforts to make newcomers and regular attendees feel valued and connected. Um, creating a welcoming church is an ongoing process. That involves the entire congregation. Yeah. Um, and we can just encourage a culture of hospitality. But, act, I mean, practical things, I don't know. I mean, I, Well, I think what you said is really helpful because it's ongoing. Where, like, it never stops. This right. need never stops. Where, you know, for a while, especially when I first got here, if, like, a new family showed up, you're like, that's a new family. Mm-hmm. And everyone, like, flocks to them like we're... Uh, like a cult or something where like welcome, <laughs> welcome or um yeah so but now you're you see someone new and i hear all you're like i don't know if they're new so you don't people sometimes it's just easier to ignore them because you're like well mate i'm sure they know people or they're probably not new mm. um so it's this ever ongoing thing that we should be conscious of um yeah, uh, for me, simply go, if you're, not everyone's willing to do this, or it's not their personality, but like just intentionally go and introduce yourself to someone you don't know um, is an easy one. And, and to do that, I, I use this strategy, and people um, can seal it if it's helpful, but if, if I've done it to someone they, they already know, I literally just say, hey, I'm Jason. Have we officially met? Okay. Now, I did that twice this Sunday. And uh, so, because that takes away any pressure on both sides. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because sometimes like you might meet someone in passing and you didn't even catch their name or you, everyone quickly forgot names or you just, you really haven't had a chance to chat with someone, but they've been coming for a long time. That's an easy one. Just say, Hey, I'm say your name. Have we officially met? And they'll tell you like, yeah, last week. No, <laughs> just, I mean, usually they say like, maybe not officially. And I'm like, Oh, good. And so then mm. have a little bit more of a, a deeper conver- conversation, learn people's names. And then as you yeah. can just occasionally attend different services, mm-hmm. it's easy with names. Like I know people are like, well, I'm not good at names. Um, but if you're sitting in a service, you've been coming that same service for a long time, like during the message or, I mean, hopefully people are paying attention too, but just look around and be like, do I know any of these names? Mm. And if you're like, I don't know any of these people. And then you walk to your car after and you're like, well, I don't know anyone. I'm like, well, how is that helpful for you or anyone else in that service? Like go say, Hey, what's your name? I'm just like, especially with so many transplants that come to the area. I just say like, are you from like, did you grow up here? I have said like you from around here. Like (laughs) I've I've knocked that off because that just never came across well. So I just say like, did you grow up in the area? Um, Because then that gives them a chance to be like, no, we just moved here, whatnot. So yeah. All right, that's a wrap. You want me to pray? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't hear any crying. No, they're fine. God, thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you for your word and uh, the challenge and the encouragement that it is. Uh, God, we pray that this would be a blessing to ourselves, but God, a blessing to others that, that might listen. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.